What do you understand by the communion of saints? First, that believers all and everyone as members of Christ have communion with him and share in all his treasures and gifts. Second, that everyone is duty-bound to use his gifts readily and cheerfully for the benefit and well-being of the other members. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, are you all here? I mean, is all of you here? Whether you're here in the building or whether you got up this morning to go to your living room to participate in this service over the internet, is all of you present for worship? Imagine, children, if you woke up this morning and some of your body parts didn't want to cooperate. Imagine you tried to open your eyes and only one eyelid listened and the other didn't. Sometimes happens. Imagine you tried to get out of bed and one leg listened and the other said, nope, I'm staying here. Seems a little bit funny, doesn't it? But if you think about it, it's not. When our bodies don't work, it's scary. When our bodies don't work, that is called dis-ease. Disabled people suffer because body parts don't respond. They're missing, or if they're there, they're not working, or if they do work, they work unexpectedly and uncontrollably. That's hard, and it hurts when our bodies aren't whole and healthy. When our hearing isn't working, it's frustrating. When we can't see properly, it gets in the way of of life. When our lungs don't work properly, it brings distress. Well, last week we considered the biblical metaphor of the church as a living temple built of living stones as a habitation for the Spirit of God built on the cornerstone, which is Christ Jesus. This week, as we come to the part of the creed which talks about the communion of saints, we look at the church through another metaphor which the Apostle Paul uh, likes to use, and that is the metaphor of the body. We read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and the Scripture reminds us that the church is one body, with many parts, one body with many gifts. And the church is happy and healthy and joyful when all of the members are present and living and active. They're all important. They're all needed. And when it works, it's glorious. There's this glorious unity in diversity which reflects the very character and essence of the the creator himself. That unity and diversity reflects the, the Holy Trinity, which since all eternity is one God, unity, in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, diversity. And so when it comes to the church, when it comes to the body of Christ, you fit in not by being the same, but by being different. You don't fit in by being the same. Imagine, children, if every member of your body was the same. The Apostle Paul talked about didn't he, in 1 Corinthians 12. Imagine that every member of your body 
was an eyeball, or you were just one great big eyeball, and that's it. I'm sure you would see very well, but you wouldn't be able to breathe. You wouldn't be able to eat. You, would, you wouldn't be able to live. And so the, the glorious diversity that God puts into the body is for the, the health and the life of the body. And as goes the body, so goes the church of God. We don't want all the members to think the same and look the same and act the same and do the same. That's not the biblical picture of a church, of the church. As we look at the confession of the church, the communion of saints, we'll note three aspects this morning, communion with Christ, communion with one another, and communion for the world. So communion with Christ first. What connects us, what unites us in one body is not sameness. What connects us, what unites us is that we are in Christ. We're all part of the same body and we all have the same head. We have communion with Christ, we confess, and share in all his treasures and gifts. Our oneness is in Christ. And I'll be working a little bit with Ephesians chapter 4 over the next while. So if you have your Bible handy, you could look at Ephesians 4 verse 4, where the apostle says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, the, the oneness, the unity, the connectedness, the communion of the body has its source, has its root in him. And that's the first thing that we confess here. Now, when I say communion of saints, what do you think of? Well, often when we say communion of saints, we think of the meal train, and we think of cards and phone calls and visits and encouragement and and blessings, and Christian encouraging and upbuilding Christian discussion, and, and visiting with one another, hospitality, all kinds of good things. That's all part of the communion of saints. But it begins with him. It begins in him. The first thing about the communion of saints is that we are united to Christ. That's our confession, and that is our calling. Look at the first verses of chapter 4 of Ephesians. I urge you, says the apostle, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Because we're in Christ, we're eager to experience the oneness that we have in Christ with one another, and, the, and so we come to communion with one another. Now, we read in 1 Corinthians 12 about the gifts of the Spirit that he distributes in the church, in the body, and he himself is the greatest gift given to the church. The Lord Jesus ascended in glory and triumph and victory. He poured out his Holy Spirit on the church on Pentecost Sunday, and if you look at Verse 8 of chapter 4 of Ephesians. What does it say there? Verse 8 says, He gave gifts to men when he ascended on high. He gave gifts. Well, what are the gifts that he gave? Look at verse 11. 
He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. He gave his spirit and the spirit through the spirit, in the spirit, by the spirit, he gave the teaching offices to the church. Why? Well, keep reading. He gave them, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body so that it would attain the unity of the faith. That's what it's all about. That's what ministry is all about. That's what church worship services are all about, not to entertain us, but to grow us and to unite us and to build up the body of Christ and to grow us together and grow us together up into him. So look at verse 15. As the truth is spoken in love, what happens? We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's the picture of a healthy body. Each part working properly, building itself up in love, united to and obedient to the head. So in a healthy body, the, member, the members can't be selfish. When the stomach sends a message to the head, says, I, I'm hungry, I need some more food, and the head says to the hand, well, grab that sandwich off the plate, and the hand says, no, I don't feel like it. What am I going to get out of it? That's not a properly functioning body. There's a problem. In a healthy body, every member gladly obeys the head. Every member fulfills its function for the good of the body. The members don't ask, well, what can the body give to me? What am I going to get out of this? But every member says, how can I serve with who I am, with what I am, with what I have? How can I serve the body? That's what the communion of saints means. And this is our confession. And this is our calling. And woe to those who do the opposite. Woe to those who cut themselves off who neglect the assembly, who withhold their spiritual gifts from blessing others. It's not right. It hurts. It hurts the body when one of the members shuts down and cuts itself off. But even worse, worse are those who not only withhold their gifts, but who do the opposite, who actively cause damage, who, who abuse or mistreat other members, who harbor resentment and anger or hatred, who, who gossip. Well, these are bad things to do to any human being created in the image of God, but it's even more horrifying to do to Christ himself. When, when Paul was going around killing and persecuting and imprisoning God's children, the church of God, then the Lord Jesus met him on the road to Damascus, and from heaven the Lord Jesus said, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? You see, the confession of the communion of saints means that when we neglect or abuse or mistreat or hurt one another, we are doing this to Christ himself. 
But sometimes we can kneecap each other as we hurt each other with words or with actions. And when we do that, it's as if the Lord Jesus was here and we took a crowbar and kneecapped him. Sometimes we can cause pain to one another by our sin, by our love of sin, and, and by our refusal to, to seek the blessing of other members, starting with our own families. And we cause hurt instead of blessing. And it's like we're driving a, a knife deep into the body of Christ with the pain that we're causing because we love sin. And it's as if the Lord Jesus was right here and we were taking a knife and stabbing him. When you hurt a member of the body, you hurt him. I want to take a moment to speak about those who are under discipline. When a member of the body is hurting, it becomes inflamed, and it needs medicine. And sometimes the medicine is bitter, and sometimes the, the, the treatment needs to be surgery, where something needs to be corrected, and, and that means cutting, and, and, and it hurts. But the whole process is to seek restoration. And that's what the church does when the church proceeds with discipline. Because the church loves the members of Christ. The, the church wants the members who are in sin, who are hurting, who are inflamed because of the, the consequences of sin. The church wants to see those members restored and whole and healthy and rejoicing and using their gifts for the glory of God. Because that's the whole goal. The whole goal of the church is not that we all march in lockstep and think and dress and do the same, but the whole goal of the church is that there's this glorious diversity of all the members with all their gifts from the Holy Spirit joyfully using those gifts and those talents and those resources to praise God, to worship God, to, to bless God and to bless one another. And when each part is working properly, says the scripture, that makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And when that happens, that's good news for the glory of God. That's good news for the joy of God's people. And that is good news for the world. Because communion, the communion of saints is communion with Christ. It's communion with one another. And it is communion for the world too. What does the Lord Jesus say in John 13? He says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. How's the world going to see Jesus? Well, there's only one way the world can see Jesus. It's when Jesus is present in his church, in this broken world. Then the world can see Christ. When the body is healthy, it's full of life and, and love, and every member is vitally connected to Christ and readily and cheerfully serving the benefit and the well-being of the other members. Well, that's happening. Then in a world full of hate, the church is an oasis of love. 
In a world full of pain, the church is an oasis of healing. In a world full of darkness, the church is an oasis of light. And in a world full of death, the church is an oasis of life. If we want to serve the world, if we want to serve our community, then we need to start with ourselves. We need to start praying that God would give us a more vital and living communion with Christ and with one another. That's the power, that's the source which leads to meaningful outreach and service to our world. You know, our communion in Christ is one of the most powerful testimonies to the truth of the gospel. John 17, in his high priestly prayer, the Lord Jesus says this. He prays to the Father. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their words. So he's praying for the disciples, the apostles, and also for the church, which will be built through the ministry, through the preaching ministry of the apostles. He's praying what? That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. Now, these are astonishing words there in in the Gospel of John. These are breathtaking words. And if the Lord Jesus himself didn't say it, we would say, whoa, that's bordering on heresy, because the Lord Jesus is speaking about participation in the communion of God. The communion of the Godhead, Father in communion with Son in the Holy Spirit, that eternal, blessed, infinite love and communion that is in God. Jesus invites us into it. He says that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. That's hard to process. It's hard to process that the Lord Jesus calls us to unity and communion with one another in him, a deep, profound, eternal, glorious communion which is tasted and known by the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Why? Why does the Lord Jesus pray this kind of unity and communion for the church? Well, look at the end of verse 21 in John 17. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me so that the world may believe. The faith that unifies us and unites us in communion with God the Father and God the Son in God the Spirit, when that faith is lived, when that faith is real, when that faith is exercised, when that faith is evident and manifest, then it powerfully calls the world to come and believe and share in communion with Christ. If you want the world to believe, then we need to pray that our faith may be living and active. We need to pray that when people see the church, they may be able to say, 
I see Christ in the world. We need to pray that when people interact with us, when they speak with us, when they deal with us, when they're our neighbors or our colleagues at work or our clients or our bosses or people that we study with, when they come to know us, when they talk with us, they need to come away with the powerful impression that they have been in the presence of Christ himself. Because they have been in the presence of someone who knows and lives and experiences and participates in the deep eternal communion of the triune God. Today, we celebrate the Feast of Communion. Communion with Christ. Communion with one another. And that communion proclaims the hope of new life to a dying world. I believe the communion of saints. Don't just know it, but believe it. And live it. Amen.